guys, good morning. Good to see you again. You know, I, I didn't get a chance to be here last week with you. Maybe you weren't here last week either, so you're like, okay, no, no harm, no foul. But, uh, you know, if you were, I just heard that, like, Kristen knocked it out of the park last Sunday and uh, just was able to, you know, speak into the story of Hannah and, 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 and that struggle and that loss and, and that, that proverbial question, why are you weeping? And you go, why do you even have to ask? So... So big shout out to Kristen for that. We got Mark back from Ireland. I don't know if you knew this. Mark was in Ireland for the last 10 days doing jigs in the local pubs with Peter Rollins and some other folk on a concert. And uh, Mark, good having you back. And a big shout out to all of you from Crosspoint. Got the chance last Sunday to go to this, uh, this cool little church out in Lakewood um, where Audrey Putnam, who is, who is one of our own, she's been with us since she was 12 and has grown up and, and felt God calling her into worship leading, is out there serving now and got to go and uh, kind of tag team with her and that was really cool. So just a, a big blessing, greeting, shout out, hello from them to you. And uh, I'm going to warn you right now. Um, like, my voice is going today. I was in Vegas for the last three days, because really, why not? And uh, <laughs> we're going to see if this holds up here this morning. And uh, I- I've been thinking about this um, coming in, and is it, like, not nuts that Tuesday is May 1st? I, I just don't, like, even know how to come to terms with this. Uh, we- that we started this why question thing back in September, that sounds so stinking long ago. I mean, I, I can't even kind of put that into perspective, and yet I can't believe tomorrow is May 1st as well. We're, we're sitting here today, rounding out this journey that we started back in September with, with this, this, this deep proverbial question, why? We started last September by just kind of throwing out this question that all of us have asked at some time ourselves, people in our lives if we've mustered the courage to open the conversation or if the seams just kind of blew out under the pressure, um, probably have asked God at some point or at least wondered, God, why? You know, why? 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 Why is it this way? Why is this happening? Why don't you? I mean, I can go on. I don't need to repeat them. You know the why questions. Questions that have driven some of us screaming towards God, some of us that have driven us screaming away from God, and the Bible is filled with these why questions. These next few weeks, we're bringing it to a close. Not, not a close as though why questions will disappear, that we're suddenly going to stop looking at them or talking about them or thinking about them when they come up. But, but, but the last of our samplings, and, and we're going to round it out with the collection not of questions that I think we ask God, but instead we're going to round it out these next few weeks with those questions God asks us. Did you know that the Bible is filled, the pages are filled with question after question, why question after why question, of God's going, why, to us, probably just as much, if not more so, than us to him. We put it this way last fall. It's like we're sitting down here looking up into heaven going like this. And God's up in heaven looking down at us going like this. Neither party understanding why we do what we do. 
I want to show you a question today. It's, it's like so foundational, it can be missed. But man, it's just, I, I love this question from God. It, <laughs> here it is, right? It says this. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? It assumes something, of course, that you do, in fact, disobey the Lord's commands. Can we get a show of hands here today? Who disobeys the Lord's commands? Yeah, right? Of course. Right? And God is up there. Why? Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? This exact phrase coming out of Second Chronicles, it's coming off the lips of a prophet named Zechariah. Zechariah's dad has just died. And, and, and the little nation of Judah, we're not even Israel anymore. Ten of the twelve tribes have evaporated by this point. They've gone down in their disobedience. It's this little fledgling group that's holding on. And they're going the same way as everyone before them went. They don't even care anymore. Have you noticed there's kind of like two levels in this thing with disobeying the Lord's commands? We all disobey it. But there's some who kind of like care that they disobey. And then you come to this other place where at times we're like, you know, I don't even care anymore. And this is where Jude is at. They don't even care. They're doing it flagrantly, openly, joyfully, a grin on their face. They know they're getting away with it. And even if they don't, they don't care. And there's this prophet who's coming to him going, Open your eyes. Do you not see what this is doing to you? Why? Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You think he doesn't love you? Do you think he doesn't care about you? Do you think this doesn't matter to him? Why do you do it? The way that I like this, that's put elsewhere, even better, let me read it to you. It comes off the lips of pagan priests who say to pagan people, why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? These pagan priests in Philistia, they're looking at the Philistines who are rebelling against Yahweh, and they're going, do you see what happened to Egypt? Are you out of your mind? Why? You don't even know God, but seeing what he did should be evidence enough that this is not going to lead you to happy places. Why do you harden your hearts as those who went before you did? And then oddly enough, they say, so make five golden tumors and send it back to Israel, to Yahweh's appeasement. Let's not go there. But the question is kind of just sitting there, right? Lead balloon. It ain't going anywhere. It's the white elephant in the room. Why do you do it? Because all of us do. All of us know we do. And God is scratching his head, utterly confused. Well, I'll tell you why some of us do it. Because we think God is a cosmic killjoy. There's some of us in this room, I suspect, who, forgive me, but probably have not really experienced 
God's commands. You, you've heard a few. Grandma told you some things, and then you've plastered grandma's words as being God's words. You've had certain assumptions, maybe a bad church experience. Maybe you've come along the way, and a certain collection of ideas of what God's commands are have come to be settled in you, and you find them utterly constricting. It's like God is trying to put a straight jacket on you. And you find God's commands something stifling and constraining and confining and you can't move and you can't breathe and you hate the feeling of being trapped in. And what's utterly amazing to me is that when God talks about his commands, that is the furthest thing he has in mind because when God talks about his commands, he talks about them as something life-giving something rejuvenating, something that fills you with, 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 with joy, with power, with purpose, something that brings freedom, not confinement. At the end of this Old Testament book, it's called Deuteronomy, which literally means second set of commands or second laws. It's, it's a retelling of God's commands. Moses says this to the people. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. So choose life. The entire book is structured of revisiting the way of Yahweh, his commands and his desires and what he wants, and, and showing how the way of God will lead to something that brings life. And how the way apart from God will lead to something that brings death. And I don't mean cool death. You know, I'm not talking like Chris Angel dressed in black wearing skulls kind of death. Or, or even not so cool death anymore, 80s hair bands, you know, wear too much makeup, get the perm, kind of, you know, celebrate. No, no not, not that kind of death. It's talking about the finding out you have cancer kind of death where it takes you out of the knees and sucks not only your physical energy, but your soul and your spirit as well. It's that kind of death where you wake up and you just realize it's futile. What's the purpose? And that life is filled not with abundance and prosperity and joy, but is flatlined. And the entire message of God is this cry to say, my way will bring you life, joy, contentment, peace, a hope, a purpose, a future, shalom. I can go on. You get the point. It's like God is sitting up there going, I have set before you a way of life, in its antithesis, is a way of death. So why? Why aren't you picking this way? Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? Because we do. We disobey him. We disobey him when we want to. 
We disobey them even when we don't want to. It's revealing, I think, that so many of us have this, 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 this posture, this idea, as though we are, we are value neutral, that we sit in a place where equal and opposite choices are presented before us and in a very kind of rational or conditioned mindset will logically or work through the benefit factor and, 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 and choose which way or the other. But the Bible gives a very different picture of why I think we choose the way of death so much more than the way of life instead. I want to show you a couple of metaphors here today, just kind of like, not exhaustive, but my favorite picks of the Bible of how God describes us. Here they are. Here's the top five. That's you, and I don't mean the guy in the helmet. Bible will describe us as hard of heart, calloused, stiff-necked, as brazen adulteresses, my favorite, as a donkey in heat. Would you turn to the person next to you today and just say, you're a donkey in heat? <laughs> yeah, you know you are. <laughs> Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? Well, the Bible seems to say if, if, if what the Bible says is true, because this is you. Hardness of heart. It's what those pagan priests said. Why do you harden your heart? Have you ever seen a hard heart? You know what I get? I get those pictures in my mind, like when you're in like freshman health class, and they show you the effects of smoking, and they, you know this, they put the two pictures side by side. You have the nice pink, healthy, wonderful heart, and then you put next to it, it's like that, that gray, shriveled, kind of hardened heart, or, or like, you know, the hearts of someone who is healthy versus someone who is obese, someone who ate, like, spinach versus someone who ate, like, well, drank grease, you, you know, or something like that. And, you know, you've seen these, it's like the heart, it gets fat, it gets hard, it gets crusty. It gets gnarly. The idea that when we disobey the Lord's commands, it actually does something to us. That when we disobey the Lord's commands, it's cholesterol of the soul. Spend a life disobeying the Lord's commands and you suddenly have this heart that becomes unresponsive, unable to function, Weak and struggling and on a path to death. Why do you disobey? The, why do you want a heart like this? The Bible says, but the reality is it's a heart. All of us in some way have. It'll talk about how we've become calloused. It's yard season. Are they developing yet? All of us know the first time you go out on a shovel or you're doing pull-ups or you're working like the rake in the fall or the hole and it's sensitive and you feel every little thing. But the more you do it, the more the skin starts to harden. And pretty soon you don't feel it anymore, do you? It's the idea that every time we disobey the Lord's commands, 
we're toughening our heart. We're toughening our soul, and I don't mean in a good way. We're toughening it up to the point that it starts to be desensitized. That we don't feel guilt, shame, those pricks of conscience anymore, those things that God has hardwired into us to keep us alert and sensitive to him. And over time, we find ourselves in those places where we just don't care. Let me ask you, of those commands of God's, which are the ones where you simply don't care anymore? Which are the ones where you simply don't feel the call of the way of God anymore? One of the biggest ones you'll see is God calling his people stiff-necked. The first time I believe it comes on the pages of the Bible, it's this, this, this really just kind of like amazing, cool story. God has just led through Moses, the people of Israel, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea into this mountain called Horeb or, or Sinai. And it's there that God says he's going to kind of enter into this covenant with him. I know that sounds churchy, but it's kind of like a wedding ceremony. That God is going to kind of, he's betrothed himself to this people. He's claimed them as his beloved and, and asks for that love in return. And they're going to seal this ceremony. This wedding, if you will, this spiritual marriage of this commitment to each other, this monogamy, this, this loyalty and devotion. And Moses is up on the mountain getting the marriage document spelled out. It's called the Ten Commandments and all the rest that follows. And it's like the ink isn't even dry on the paper yet. And Moses is coming down the mountain with the tablets in his hand. And the people are already sleeping with the other gods it's their wedding night. And they're building golden calves and they're dancing around him and, 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 and they're giving themselves to this other thing. And God calls them stiff-necked, stubborn, people who fight them. There's this, this phrase in combat sports, be it wrestling or jujitsu or MMA or whatever your variety might be, that where the head goes, the body will follow. It's no coincidence that Jesus is called our head, that where Jesus goes, we are to follow. But you know how the body fights the head? You tighten up the neck. You stiffen the neck. Have you ever got into it with someone who was like a wrestler, and they got like that 23-inch neck? And they just, you know, it's like there, there really isn't even a neck. You know, it's like this fire plug. And they just kind of, they get in there like this and you're on their head and you can't get them to go anywhere. Welcome to every night with my kids, right? You know, it's just, they're argh, fighting you and they're, they're, they're getting into it on you. And they're, they're, they're stiffening their neck. They are stubbornly refusing to go where the head wants you to go 
It's a term he applies to them that there they are with the golden calf. It's like, you're being like a stubborn cow. I've put this yoke on you. And as Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but you are fighting against the yoke. Every step of the way. How's your neck feel today? As God is coming to you, are you stiffening that neck? And the Bible goes on with so many metaphors. Jeremiah will call the people of God brazen adulteresses. Ezekiel will say it's like you're a donkey in heat. The slightest whiff of something else other than God. You're running. I've never seen a donkey in heat. I've got to imagine it's kind of a sight to see. You're a donkey in heat. I think of Isaiah. The ox and, and, and donkey know their master, the prophet says, but you don't even know me. Why? It's like he's saying, are you being such a stubborn ass about this? Why? Why are you fighting me, resisting me, pulling against me? Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? The pages of this book are filled with this question of God up in heaven going, guys, life, death, me, nothing Why, 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 are, why are you fighting me? The New Testament writer Paul will say it like this. There was no one righteous. Not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. You read something like that, you're like, what are you saying, man? I'm here today. I love God. I see God. I want God in some fashion or some way. No, it seems like there's something at the core of who we are that isn't value neutral. Whether we're hardwired this way, corrupted this way, I don't care how you put it, that it's some fundamental way. We fight them by nature. We're resistant to the core. Rebellious to some degree. Every step of the way. I like how Martin Luther puts it. In reflecting on himself, he he once wrote this. He's like, you know, I can't. I can't by my own reason, by my own strength, by my own desire, ability, or power. I can't come to God. Call on Jesus as my Savior or my Lord. He came to this realization that at some fundamental level, if we are to choose the way of life, if we are to call on the Lord, if we are to obey his commands, God somehow, in some way, has to rescue us 
from ourselves. That it's not just a matter of choices out here that I pick from. But that something has to change in here for this question to ever be answered. It's why Jesus will talk this way. You must be born again. The the phrase has become too cliche that I think it's lost its meaning. But can you give it a moment just to settle with it? Because it implies something. It implies you're already dead. Stone cold dead. When is the last time you've seen someone go to the cemetery and go to a grave and go, why don't you obey the Lord's commands? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Because it's just not in their capacity. Jesus will say, you must be born again. That what I've come to do is change something on the inside. To give you, as the prophets will say, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. To remove the callous that's upon it. To bring something that can only be described as as inner transformation. Change. Something as different and new as life reborn. Jesus will say, you must be born again. And what you see on the pages of the Bible from the same God who sits bewildered in heaven, scratching his head, reaching down to you to say, I will do everything in my power to make you a person who wants that way again. To those of you who are here today, who are feeling dead, calloused, hard, who are feeling adulterated, who are feeling victimized by every scent on the wind that draws your attention like you're some donkey in heat. The message of the Bible is of a God who loves you, who says, let me come to you and make you anew, hungry for me and my way again. And that's what this is about here. That's what we're doing. Not gathering as people who are so enamored by the Lord's commands. But people who know we are hardened to them. But thanks be to God in some way saying, Lord, save me from myself. Change me to the way you want me to be to all that I can be once again. And that's an invitation he offers to every single one of us.
no matter how hard, dead, or disturbed you might be. So we're going to close this time, and we're just going to pray. Um, I'll, I'll ask you to rise for this, let the band get on stage. I just want to give you a chance to meet God in that place. If you are wrestling against that existential question, why do I keep rebelling? Or if you're in that place going, I've found myself on a path of death. And I want the way of life again. A good way to start is just by admitting this to God. Tell him where you are. Tell him where you're facing. Tell him where you keep choosing death again and again. And know that the God who is inviting you to that path is the same God who will help you on it. Who will replace the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. Invite him in to that heart of stone today. Invite him to begin that process of transforming you here today. Let's pray. Lord, that we would be people who hunger and thirst for, for righteousness, who seek your way, your truth, and the life That we would be people, God, who have hearts of flesh and not hearts of stone. That we would be people who humble ourselves before you rather than fight and resist. Renew us, transform us. Give us life, new birth, sensitivity and hunger and desire for you. You and your way again. Lord, hear, hear the confession of our heart. Lord, forgive, we pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. God the merciful, God the kind, God the compassionate. 
and the tenderness of his heart gave his son Jesus to die for you. For his sake, forgives you your sins, grants you new life, and gives you the promise that in him you can be born again. May that mercy, that forgiveness, and the presence of his spirit assure you that he will take your heart of stone and not leave it unchecked. Open yourself and invite him. Invite him in.